So at the end of the Lego movie, uh, Emmett uh, is the main character on this side. Lord Business is bad guy. Uh, at the end, Emmett says to Lord Business this. He says, you don't have to be the bad guy. You are the most talented, most interesting, most extraordinary person in the universe. And then he adds, and so is everybody. So is everybody. It's just not true, though, is it? We can't all be the most extraordinary. Uh, some of us will have to be content with plain old ordinariness. And that can be hard. Uh, you might be able to relate to a writer who said, everydayness is my problem. It's easy to think about what you would do in wartime or if a hurricane blows through or if you spent a month in Paris or you win the lottery or bought that thing you really wanted. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair. And if you can relate to that, I certainly can. And I often find myself kind of daydreaming about a drastically unusual turn of events. You know, you just your mind just wanders, think, what if I came home and the, the house had burned down? And what would I have to do then? I'd have to drop everything and only deal with this one big thing that's happening. But most days are not like that. And most days are made up of ordinary and unremarkable moments. And when we plan out our activities for the week, however you do that, maybe you, you write your activities into a calendar or you do it on your phone or you just keep it in your head and you think, what do I need to do? I need to go to the shops and so I'll, I'll do that at this time and um, I've got to cut the grass so I'll do it at this time and I need to have that meeting so I'll do it at this time and I'll leave a bit of space to watch some telly um, and um, oh, I've got a bit of a gap on Tuesday afternoon so maybe I'll pencil in that I'm going to save the world on Tuesday afternoon. We don't do that. Superman might do that when he plans his diary. Um, But we don't do that. We're not Superman. We just plod on. The most interesting, most extraordinary person in the universe, like everybody else. What does our passage say? If you have your Bibles, please look with me. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Freedom. That's what Paul's been banging on about for the the, the last couple of chapters, really. Freedom. Uh, In these new Galatian churches, the believers have been thrown off course because they'd got this idea that they had to perform in order to to earn God's blessing. They had to perform duties to get God to do what they wanted. In fact, they got more than just the idea they had to do. They got the idea they could do that. They could somehow, by acting in the right way and doing the right thing, get God to bless them. And that was a way of slavery, Paul has been saying. That is a a way of binding yourself to a way of living that will end in nothing. That's not the good news. It's not the good news. Galatians 5 verse 1 is the good news. If you flick back to that, Galatians 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Freedom. That's what Christ wants for you, freedom. And we saw it last time uh, and the time before that freedom, as Paul writes about it, is the removal of every barrier that stands in the way between you and eternal happiness. Christ has done everything needed to bring you that sort of freedom. So what do we do with it? Paul says, well, now you have it. Stand firm in it. Stand firm. There's so much out there, so much in here that would burden us with slavery. And Christ has not freed you to to let you be crushed again by that yoke of slavery. 
He set you free to be free. Not, not kind of the pretense of freedom, not self-created nonsense, but the removal of every barrier to your eternal happiness. He set you free to be free. You have been called to be free. Well, how do we do it? How do we stand firm in this freedom? That's what the rest of the letter answers. Uh, last week we saw to stand firm in this freedom, you need to understand there are only ever two ways to live. Uh, two ways. Paul says these are the ways set before you. It's a way of circumcision or Christ. We saw that is you go the way of anything that means relying on your own efforts. That's the way of circumcision as an example. Or you rely on Christ's efforts. Those are the two ways to go. If you want to stand firm, you've got to recognize there are only two ways. Well, this week we'll see the next thing in standing firm in freedom. This week we're going to see to stand firm in this freedom, you need to keep in step with the Spirit. To stand, to stand firm in this freedom, you need to keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, and from our passage, we're going, to see, um, we're going to see two things that are true about a believer and one thing that believers should do. Two things that are true about a believer, one thing that believers should do. So two things true about a believer. Here's the first one. You are a place of cosmic conflict. You weren't expecting that, were you? No. You are a place of cosmic conflict. Uh, did you notice in this passage there is conflict? Did you hear that as it was read? Uh, just follow through with me. You see verse 13. Paul says, uh, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Verse 16. Uh, I say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And it gives some examples. Verse 22. The fruit of the spirit. And then it gives some examples. They are in conflict. We have the flesh and the spirit. They are in conflict. But what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, look with me at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ live by the Spirit. Those who live by the Spirit belong to Christ. Now, Paul's already talked about this in the letter back in Galatians 4, verses 4 to 6. He says there how God sent his Son to achieve a redemption for us. Christ Jesus was sent on a mission into the world to die for us. And Galatians 1 verse 4 says, Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Christ came to win a redemption, a redemption from the misery and the decay and the shadow of this age. And to win for us a, a place in the promised age of happiness, freedom. He removed every obstacle to our eternal happiness. Christ achieved our redemption through his death and resurrection. And then Galatians 4 says, God didn't just send his son into the world, he sent his spirit into the world. He sent his spirit to apply that redemption. It says he sent his spirit into our hearts. That's what we receive by faith. And we, prompt, we trust the promise of God in Christ and by the spirit receive all his benefits. We live by the spirit, that is we belong to Christ. 
That's the spirit. But on the other hand, we have the flesh. Uh, the flesh describes the kind, of, the kind of operating principle of this age, this present evil age. If you've got one of the church Bibles, you'll see there's a footnote against the word flesh in verse 13. And the footnote says, uh, the word for flesh refers to the sinful state of human beings. So verse 21 says, those who live like this, those who practice these deeds of the flesh, if that's the habit of their life, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. The promised eternal age is shut off to those who do not belong to Christ. And last week, maybe you remember this diagram we put up. We've got the present evil age and the promised age of eternal happiness. And between those two ages stands the divine assessment. There we go. We can label uh, these ages. The present evil age, we could label the flesh. And that the promised age of eternal happiness, we could label the spirit. Uh, between these two ages stands that divine assessment. And, and Paul was saying that there are some of you who are hoping that by doing enough good, when you get to that final divine assessment, you are going to be allowed through into the coming age. But that will never work because you will never do enough. You will never do the right things. However, he says those who rely on Christ, who don't rely on themselves, but rely on Christ and trust that Christ has done everything needed to bring them through that assessment, they will inherit the blessing. They will have access to eternal happiness. Well, now in our passage, we're beginning to see that that final decision, in a sense, kind of reaches back into this age. There's an overlap. Uh, The work of Christ and the preaching of the gospel bring the beginning of the future into the present. And our passage says, therefore, the flesh and the spirit are in conflict. Paul's talking about the believer. Talking about someone who has put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody who once didn't know Christ, they belonged to the flesh, but they came to put their faith in Christ and now they belong to Christ by the Spirit. And for that person, there is a conflict. And he says it's played out in in their deeds and their desires. It's played out in their deeds. He says the acts of the flesh, they're obvious. Gives examples in verses 19 to 21. Sexual immorality, impurity, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness, orgies, the like. All patterns of behavior the the deeds of the flesh but he said but on the other hand you've got the fruit of the spirit and he gives examples love joy peace now patterns of behavior a a conflict in these deeds a conflict conflict in these acts but he says it's not just a, a conflict in how people behave it's a conflict in what people desire it's the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit that are contrary to each other These desires are tangled up, they're woven together. Verse 17 says, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want. Saying within the believer, the flesh desires one thing, but it can't quite get there because the spirit desires another way. And and they they wrestle it out, these different desires. Paul, Paul, Paul is saying there's a conflict that... That is being fought in the kind of deepest place of a person, in the place of their desiring, comes right out from the core of a person. Now, every believer, I think, is aware of this struggle. We don't want to sin, and yet we kind of do, and we do sin, and we do want to do better, and sometimes we do do a bit better, but we struggle to manage it. We have this conflict. 
not hopeless. It's not hopeless. Verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. A crucifixion was a long and slow death. A certain death, but it dragged on. And Paul's saying those who belong to Christ, the flesh is crucified. It still has an influence. It still can exert some power, but it is crucified. It is slowly and surely dying. It's not hopeless. But what I want us to see is this. This this future age has made a beginning. The future age has reached back into this present age. And the point of intersection... The point of, of kind of, of, of conflict, that the front line of the battle between these two ages is found in the believing heart. Now, if you're a believer, do you know what God has done in you? Do, do you know that? That God has sent his spirit into your heart. The spirit of God almighty with all the power and life of God has been sent into you, into your heart. And if we could grasp what that meant, we would, we, we would just fall over. Our minds would be blasted away in wonderment. But do you know what is going on in you? Right in you, as a believer, the new age has begun. All the new creation has made a start and it's in you. Paul writes in another letter how we are outwardly wasting away, which we are, aren't we? That's evident. Outwardly wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. In your heart there is a construction project going on and it will be finished in the new world. In your heart is the intersection between the present evil age of the flesh and the coming age of promise. There is a great conflict, a great battle, and it's not really going on out there. It's going on right in here. You are a place of cosmic conflict. Uh, I reckon we're usually blissfully unaware of anything like that going on, aren't we? And yet every moment of our lives, there is a war within. We can't just do what we want. Our desires and our deeds are being governed by these great powers, these great forces. Every dayness is my problem, said the writer. Every dayness, the mountain of ordinariness. And yet every unremarkable moment of your life is the front line of a cosmic battle. First thing to note about you as a believer from this passage is that you are a place of cosmic conflict. Second thing that Paul says about the believer in this passage is this. You are freed to love. Freedom. You are freed to love. Freedom is the watchword. Christ has set us free. Verse 13, you were called to be free. And yet it's important to understand what that freedom is. What's the nature of that freedom? In verse 13, Paul explains the kind of freedom that we have. It's, It's not a freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, he says, it is a freedom to serve one another humbly in love. Now, now literally what he writes there, and this is the shocking bit, literally what he writes is, you are enslaved to one another through love. Paul has been laboring. He's been working so hard to tell the Galatians, you are not slaves. 
You are not slaves. You should not be living like slaves. Don't live like slaves because you're not slaves. And now he's saying you are free. And so live like slaves. Uh, Then he says another surprising thing, I think, in verse 14. He says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Now again, we've seen Paul working really hard to say to the Galatians, you are not under the law. The law with the, the rules and the commands of God. You're not under the law. Now he's saying, basically, you are to do the entire law. And that's summarized in a command, love your neighbor as yourself. You want to put your hand up and say, which is it, Paul? <laughs> what, what, what do you want us to do? Are we free or are we slaves? Are we to move on from the law, or are we still to follow what the law says? And Paul would say, yes. 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 First of all, the law. Uh, The law of God with his rules and requirements. The law is not given as something that can be used to achieve our salvation. It's not given as as a kind of standard for us to try and meet and to use in that way. If we use the law like that, which the Galatians were tempted to do, is a misuse. And if you use it like that, it will lead to you relying on yourself and not relying on Christ. And that won't work. It's a slavery. That's what Paul's been talking about. Working yourself into the dust and you end with nothing. But that doesn't mean the law hasn't got a purpose. The law is given to show the kind of life that we can live in Christ. And we see that in the love command. And then the matter of freedom. Christ has set us free. What does that mean? It means he's removed every obstacle to our eternal happiness. Christ has done it and we receive it. We haven't got to struggle to do enough good and then hope that somehow we might have just get, get enough to pass the test on the last day. Paul says, no, you are freed from that slavery. And because we are freed from that, we are able to truly love one another. You are enslaved to one another in love. See, slavery is where you work really hard and you don't get anything for it. That's what slavery is, isn't it? You work and work and work and there's no wage, there's no reward. No expectation of it when you're a slave. That is how we are freed to love one another. We don't love one another to get brownie points. Christ has won all the brownie points we will ever need. So we can love others completely for their benefit. And that's what the law aims at. All the law is summed up in the one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every other requirement and rule is an application and expansion on the one central thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean to love as yourself? Well, loving yourself is, is basic nature. Now, we do love ourselves. And that's okay. That is okay. Um, We we all do. We feed ourselves. We clothe ourselves. If I have an itch, I itch it. I don't just let it go. I do something about it. All of us do what we think will make us happy. Even if we do something to make ourselves unhappy, we kind of do it because we think unhappy will make us happy. But the point is that the wisdom of God is so concise. Nobody needs to be taught how to love themselves. But if we want to know how we are to love others, we need to look at how we treat ourselves. That's challenging. 
Now, to love others as we love ourselves means we need to be as concerned for the happiness of others as we are for ourselves. That's challenging. Loving yourself is basic. Loving yourself is also very practical. I don't think it is natural for us to have warm, fuzzy feelings about ourselves. I don't think it's natural for us to be mushy and sentimental and gooey-eyed about ourselves. That's just weird, isn't it? Um, But it is natural to provide as much as we can for our basic needs. If I have an itch, I itch it. But also, loving yourself is is something you you primarily do for the benefit of yourself, don't you? I don't itch myself for the benefit of anybody else other than myself. It is all for me. Uh, It's not a pretense. I'm not doing it as a cover to try and do something else. And I think that is how we are free to love. We don't need to love ourselves to get merit for ourselves. We need to love others to get merit for ourselves. And we are free to love sincerely, genuinely, seeking only the benefit of the person that we love. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a preacher 150 years ago. He told a great story about this. He said there was a man, a gardener, who one day grew an enormous carrot in his garden. There's his big carrot. He loved this carrot. His carrot was a great carrot. And and also this man, he loved the king. So he took his carrot and he said to the king, this is the best carrot my garden will ever grow. Now, please, would you have it just as a token of my love? The the king saw the man. He was a wise king. He saw the man's devotion. He saw the man's love. He saw the man didn't want anything in return. And so the king said to the gardener, you're obviously good at growing carrots. I'm going to give you uh, 10 farms for you to go and look after. No, they, they, they can be yours now. The man goes home rejoicing. Now, there's a nobleman in the court, and the nobleman sees this, and he thinks, golly, that's what the king does for a carrot. What if I gave him something really good? So next day, uh, this, this nobleman brings to the king a fine horse. He says to the king, this horse. Where is it? Picture of a horse. There we go. This horse, this is the best horse my stables will ever grow. Please, will you have it as a token of my love? He was a wise king, so he said thank you and took the horse and said nothing else. The man got redder and redder in the face and he started to fume. And the king saw this and the king explained to him, the gardener's gift was a gift. It was love, but you're just trying to make profit. The gardener gave me the carrot, but you have given yourself the horse. Now, if we think that by loving others, we can earn our salvation All we're giving to others is really just trying to make profit for ourselves. We're giving it to ourselves. But Christ frees us to obey the whole law. Not as a way of earning God's favour, because we've got that already in Christ. But it's a way to truly love and to serve those around us. The second thing about the believer. You are freed to love But those two things are difficult, aren't they? You are free to love and you are a place of cosmic conflict. Uh, We are called to love others. We are freed to love others, but we have this war within us. Verse 15, uh, verse 14 says, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. It's a dog eat dog world, isn't it? You can love each other or you can devour each other. The flesh and the spirit are in conflict. And it's worked out in how we treat other people. What do we do? Are we are free to love. 
And yet there's this resistance and reluctance and fight within us. Or two things about you as a believer and then one thing that the believer is to do. You must keep in step with the Spirit. Look again at the flow of the passage. Verses 13 to 15, you're free to love, but it's not easy. So what do we do? Verse 16, so I say, says Paul, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You must keep in step with the Spirit. How do we do that? What does that mean? I reckon it's a bit like skiing. A bit like skiing. Where's my skiing picture? There it is. Beautiful. Um, If you go skiing, you stand at the top of a mountain, and and the basic rules of skiing is that gravity is going to do the work. One way or the other, gravity is going to get you to the bottom. That's how skiing works. Um, And and usually the slope, the ski slope is not straight. There are curves, there are twists, there are bumps. And when you ski, you have to feel the slope beneath your feet, beneath your skis, and you lean into the slope. That's what you do when you ski. That's how it works. Keeping in step with the Spirit is like that. It's a, a leaning towards what the Spirit is doing in you and away from what the flesh is doing in you. Well, what's the Spirit doing in you? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. We lean into these things. As we lean into them, what we have to keep in sight is, verse 18, you're not under the law. Verse 23, against such things there is no law. See, we lean into these things. As we lean into them, we refuse any sense of condemnation when we fail. When we lean into these things, we refuse any sense of commendation for success. Because we are free to love. So we pursue and we press into the fruit with that freedom. We are not under the law, as in the condemnation of the law. So so when we get it wrong, we cannot be condemned because Christ was condemned for us. And when we get it right, we're not gaining merit before God because Christ has gained all of that for us. So we are free to do these things with sincerity. We lean into the fruit of the Spirit, refusing any sense of condemnation for failure or commendation for success, but we aim at Christification. That's made up. We aim at Christification. Paul said in in Galatians 4, Christ is being formed in you. We belong to Christ by the Spirit. We live in Christ by the Spirit, so we can draw from Christ the things that we lack and return thanks to him for the things that we get. You are free to love enslaved in fact to one another in love you're to love your neighbor as yourself we do it by keeping in step with the spirit the fruit of the spirit is is the application of the command to love one another now all this fruit of the spirit is worked out in how we relate to each other what's the fruit of the spirit the fruit of love sums it all up we're to sacrificially seek the interests of others above our own the fruit of joy We're to find genuine delight in one another. We're to enjoy the life of Christ in our brothers and sisters. We're we're to be glad that they are who they are and celebrate with them what Christ has done. The fruit of peace. The flesh produces hatred, discord, dissensions, factions. The flesh tears relationships apart. 
And Paul's warned the Galatians, don't bite and devour. The fruit of peace is when we, when we bring an end to that conflict. We, we become peacemakers. We seek reconciliation for ourselves and for those around us. Forbearance. And we bear with the burden that we are to each other. The fruit of kindness and goodness. Our attitude towards one another is for their benefit. We seek their comfort. We try to feel their needs as much as we can and reach out to them. The fruit of faithfulness. Sticking with each other. Sticking with each other through thick and thin. Not giving up on each other. Fruit of gentleness. So easy to be harsh, isn't it? The acts of the flesh are fits of rage. We know that, don't we? We react with dark thoughts to the things that others do. We get so easily riled and ruffled by people around us. But gentleness is when we sweep all of that away. It's not when when we're not overly impressed with ourselves. We don't think too much. We don't worry too much about how we're being affected. The fruit of self-control. And managing our reactions. We are going to bother each other. We annoy each other. We put each other out. The fruit of the Spirit, this fruit of the Spirit is to manage our responses and turn to the Lord for the help that we need rather than letting our fleshly desires hold sway. And to keep in step with the Spirit is to lean into these things, to pursue these things with freedom. And when we fail, we refuse condemnation because we look to Christ. When we succeed, we refuse to be proud, but we thank Christ. Now take joy, for example. The fruit of the Spirit to rejoice in others. Do you know that? Do you know what that's like? To find happiness in the grace shown to someone else. To celebrate with a brother or sister for the kindness that they've experienced from God. Or just simply to be happy that that other person is part of the church family. Now as much as we know that, Let's give thanks to God for the fruit of the Spirit worked in us. Do we need more of it? Yes. Yeah, we all do, don't we? Well, let's lean in. When we have even the slightest sense of a beginning in that, let's lean in for more. And ask for more of Christ to enable the fruit to grow. Do we know none of that? Is that an alien thing for us to rejoice in others in the church? Well, let's go to Christ. This is the fruit of the Spirit that has been put in us. Let's seek for him to grow that in us. Let me say something that is painfully obvious, so obvious we probably would miss it. Um, Here it is. We cannot love one another on our own, can we? If we go away and live in a cave, cut off from all human contact, it's impossible to love your neighbour as yourself, isn't it? And that means we cannot really bear the fruit of the Spirit on our own. And this passage is, is full of life together. Life together with its ups and its downs. Love one another, but if you bite and devour each other. Keep in step with the Spirit. Actually, it doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? Let us keep in step with the Spirit. We are to do it together. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's a team game. We need each other for it. Now, the fleshly part of us will lean to becoming more conceited. 
We'll think too much of ourselves. We'll think about the things that we like and the things we don't like. And we'll seek our own interests. And if you get together a group of people who are all seeking their own interests, our individual agendas will stab and tear at each other, bite and devour. We will provoke and envy. And we have to be with one another to love one another. And we need to lean together into the fruit of the Spirit to keep in step. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. And we need one another. And we need one another to remind us that there is no condemnation for our failure. And we need one another to remind us not to seek commendation for our success, but together to give thanks to God and seek the Spirit to grow us all together in increasing likeness to Christ. So as we come to a close, what does this mean for you? Now, if you're not a believer here this morning, then this war that this passage talks about is not yet your war. Now, there isn't the flesh-spirit conflict. But if you're not a believer, Christ wants to give you freedom. Christ came into the world to die for your sins, to win freedom for you. He wants you to benefit from what he has done. He wants to bring down every obstacle and barrier to your eternal happiness. And he asks you to trust him to do that for you. If you're not a believer, Christ says, trust me. If you are a believer this morning, what are you going to do with what we've been talking about? Now, you are free to love which of the fruit of the Spirit challenges you? Uh, as you look at those, which, which is the one that stands out for you as you sit here this morning? Now just make a note of it, make a mental note of it and think that is what I'm going to pray for this week. I'm going to seek to lean into that fruit. Uh, seek for more of that in my life. And now? Well, everydayness is my problem. Most of our lives are made up of unremarkable, ordinary moments. And yet, the word is true. In every one of those moments, your ordinary believing heart is the place of cosmic conflict. The flesh and the spirit are warring it out. Every ordinary, unremarkable moment, in every one, your heart is leaning one way or the other. There isn't a neutral way. You are either leaning towards the deeds of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit. There is really no ordinary. And we're called to love one another. We're called to keep in step with the Spirit. Ordinary moment by ordinary moment. Let's take a moment of quiet to reflect and seek what it is that we need to take from this this morning.